that is where the absolute sense of bliss and happiness lies. And it, you cannot get that from outside of yourself. You cannot get that from anyone else, but from your own self, that higher self of who you are. And when that dawned in me, then I was ready to return and, and, and come back to the relationship. And I, you alluded to that. I really give credit to that devotion to the space that really brought Gadi and I together, back together under the space of oneness with a different understanding of two people coming together in unity, but actually it's the same being within both of us that we recognize that's where the oneness lies. Welcome to A Curious Yogi Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby, and these are my conversations with sadhaks, satsangis, and other spiritual seekers. Join us as we discuss and discover what it means to live a spiritual life and walk the yogi's path. Each week, you'll gain insights into your own practice as we share the stories and wisdom of those that walk the path with us. I'm so delighted you're here. Now let's get curious. Welcome back to the show, listeners. I've got a treat for you this week. And I want to preface this rendition of Good Company by saying that I asked my dear friends Getty and Elisa on the podcast for selfish reasons. Being in or not being in a partnership as a yogi or spiritual seeker has always been a work of mine, and it's a great cause of fluctuation between joy and disturbance in my life which I guess it might be for many of you as well. Gutty and Elisa have been together for 30 years, and I asked them to share in the conversation about their experience and wisdom of what it means to coexist in spiritual life and married life. They are dedicated meditators and devotees and have spent much of their adult lives living in the Himalayas with our guru. They live in a truly inspiring way, with their attention on freedom. This interview comes from their part-time home in Davis, California. I hope you find it as bright and illuminating as I did. So welcome to the show, both of you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you for having us. Great. And I should have said, I probably will refer to you as Chucky Priya, Lisa, because that's how I I do. We are connected in that way that I feel more called to call you that. You are Gangadhar as well, Gadi, but somehow you're just Gadi, my neighbor. So, <laughs> perfect. So, yeah. So, I'm so excited that you are both here. Like, one, as individuals, you're both, you know, big influences in my life. You're both such inspiring devotees and sadhaks. But I really wanted to have you on the show this week to just hear your story of what it means to be in partnership and friendship and in life and in your spiritual journey. So do you want to just start by telling us how you met and how you came onto this such rare path of spirituality and marriage? You go, <laughs> Shakti Priya. <laughs> um, well, um, we met through... Um, one of Gadi's colleagues when he started working 
um, who had already been meditating. Uh, actually, he and his wife were meditators, and uh, they were very, very inspiring to us. <clears throat> and they showed us in a very complicated and difficult situation what it means to be um, unmoved or unaffected because somebody was... Um, well, it was, <laughs> I won't go into the full story, but they, they showed the power of being neutral in a difficult situation. And both Gadi and I seemingly independently went up to them and said, what do you know that we don't know that um, got you to be so um, even in a difficult situation? And they said, they, they said to us, it's meditation. And we said, well, that's what we want. And then a week later, they taught us to meditate. And um, and we really caught on pretty quickly and said that that's what we want. Of course, I can only speak for myself. But I think what was interesting for the two of us is that we were already dating and pretty serious and um, got lit by the same... Um, inspiration to meditate and I think we were very lucky that both of us were inspired to start to meditate together because I think it's different if one or the other is interested and and then the other is not so um, I think we were really lucky in that way you know in, in some uh, people who are um, on a spiritual path um, they are looking for somebody to join them on that. But we were already together and we kind of began um, that contemplative sort of life at the same time in our own ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like it, we always hear how rare is the one that's a seeker and like how extra rare is it to realize when you already met this person you love, you care about, and then to realize, oh, we're actually both really seeking in that deep way which is so rare in itself yeah and yeah, so what I were you like in your you were in your 20s at that point uh I think I was already in my 70s <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah old soul old soul <laughs> uh it was uh 1990 so uh I was uh 28 27 28 and I was 20, so quite young. Yeah, I, I can just say one more thing about that situation. Uh, so what happened was our, our friend is Gil, who's still with us in, in Kulu, and who uh, was then his wife, Sigal. And um, we were at a dinner, and the host was actually really rude to Gil and Sigal. And I got angry because the host was so rude. And Gil and Sigal were kind of like, eh, water off a duck's back, right? And then I got annoyed, not just at the host, I got annoyed because I was angry and they weren't. So I was like doubly annoyed. Um, and, and that's kind of what led me to uh, to ask them, you know, so what's your trick? And it turns out uh, it, it would kind of be a running motif throughout my sadhana. Swami, at some point I asked him to give me a Gita verse. And the Gita verse that he gave me was how basically to exist without being affected. So uh, it, it kind of, it, it took a very long time. Uh, I was born with a fantastic anger channel and then I worked for about 25 years. I, I perfected it. 
and it's really too bad that the Olympics don't have like a gold medal <laughs> in anger because you know finally Israel would actually have a good showing. Um, and 30 years later, uh, just the other day, somebody sent an email saying like, yeah, good luck moving Gadi. He's pretty unflappable. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it ended up being a big change. But the truth is, you know, in the moment, I think, and that's true for many people, what inspires you to get into sadhana is some real world happening, some existence. You find some disillusionment in a relationship or in your work or a life situation, uh, or you have the good luck of, of actually running into somebody that you see and you go, it's like, oh, that, that person, they have some light in their eyes and, you know, whatever it is that they're eating, I'd like to have a bite of that. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, you don't go to live in the Himalayas because you want to make your waking state a little bit better. ways of doing that yeah Uh, there's a log you know wine aisle in the supermarket that'll help you uh with with an afternoon drink and make you maybe feel a little bit better Uh, you you go to the Himalayas you sit there because you actually want to see that you're free you have a sense that what you are is not just a body and a bunch of opinions you're something else and just the thought that that's something else that you are is in you, but you're having a hard time getting in touch with it or seeing it, but it is there, right? It's not Swahili. It's not something you need to go learn. It's there and you need to actually uncover it. That's the only thing you need to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thought that that freedom is there. And, and for me, the thought that it's there and I'm actually not living that. Uh, that drove me nuts. Like I thought, no, I have to get that. (laughs) This is something I have to figure out. So like, I kind of know this story a little bit, but so you meet Gil and Seagal, you're like, okay, they got what we want. They are meditators. Then, you know, for the listeners, we'll fast forward. Like, didn't you go on your honeymoon to India to meet our guru, our same teacher, Swami Sham? Like, what was that that, find that inspired you okay let's actually go to India and and go to the source of what we see in our friends dumbest idea that any couple can do is go to an ashram for their honeymoon or smartest <laughs> depends who you are or smartest fair point fair if you point. ask me I would say best choice <laughs> uh no, the truth is, if you actually want your marriage to last forever, that's not a bad idea. Or you're going to find out very, very quickly that you're not meant to be married. One of the two. Um, but yeah, we uh, we didn't have a lot of money uh, and uh, we didn't have a lot of uh, options. And we couldn't really afford to go to some fancy fancy honeymoon and go to India. And we really, really wanted to go to India. So we thought, let's wait with a honeymoon. We waited 25 years. Uh, we did get, end up going somewhere for a honeymoon, um, but uh, yeah, we went. Uh, we went to India. We met Swami. Um, for me, it was the second time uh, that I met Swami. For Elisa, it was the first. And uh, Elisa had a very interesting reaction. Maybe she can yeah. tell you about uh, her reaction to meeting Swami. It was very unique. Actually, um, I was in grad school when Gadi went to. Um, to India for the first time so I couldn't join him also I'm American so I didn't really have much in my um in my makeup that would 
pull me there. Um, but then he went and came back and basically gave me the experience that he had when meeting Swamiji. And I said then and there, okay, that's for me. I have to go meet him myself. And um, I think pretty quickly we planned that trip. And then our wedding was planned. And it sort of just happened that our wedding had to be moved up because Gadi's father was ill and we really wanted him to be there. So we got married and a month later, as had we had planned, we went to Kulu. And um, I, when we went there, um, it was just an incredible experience for me to meet a realized being, one who is so representative of what um, we caught a glimpse of in our friends, someone who um, is just totally fine under all circumstances and knew me completely. And um, yes, when I met him, I, I just kind of had this sense, this, this is, this is something that I want to grab hold of and make my own. And then toward the middle of our visit, I had just finished graduate school. I was about to start a career as an economist. <laughs> and I said to him, look, Swamiji, that's my plan. But actually, I think this self, the journey of self-realization should be my career. <laughs> and he said, okay, make it your career. Send Gadi back and he will support you. <laughs> and actually, in a way, it did sort of evolve that way. I didn't at that time. I really felt, no, it's my responsibility to, we just got married. I will go back and be with him and get my own job, which which I did. Um, but a year later, we decided we want to make this a full-time practice of unfolding that awareness of the self through meditation among people who had that same ambition and with a realized being. So we decided to move to India together. And luckily, we both had that same sense that that's what we want to do. And luckily, Gadi was able to still work from there um, and support both of us. And I'm very, very fortunate that he was able to. And so in a way, Swamiji kind of could see that future for us, that I didn't have to work and that I could devote myself to this practice and that Gadi could devote himself to it too while um, supporting us. So um, we really um, kind of fell into a, a beautiful happening um, that really supported that practice of self-realization and meditation. There's a lot to be said about listening to Swami because if I had then the freedom and, and confidence that I have now, he was right. At least I should have actually stayed in Kulu and I should have just gone back for a year because that's what it took for me to go for us to come back to Kulu and, and just be there. And I didn't have such a great experience in San Diego that year. She would have had a much better experience staying in Kulu with Swami. But I was terrified at the thought of, you know, I just got met. We just got married and I'm going to now, you know, she's going to stay here in India and like, I'm going to go back on my own and be on my own. But he was right. Like she yeah. would have had the much, much better time. But I think that um, for the sake of our families, 
and even for us, we yeah. needed that time. That's a, that's a good point. We really, that's really needed that time to show them that we're committed to each other and to show each other that we're committed to each other. It was very important. How can right after marriage, one go off and do whatever they want and the other has to work? I don't, at that time, we were so new in this, uh, in the sadhana, in the spiritual practice that uh, I think it, it might not have been good for our relationship. I think we needed to be together and um, and and actually move through our life together. Um, and and um, and I think for our families, it would have been really difficult. It was difficult enough for them to see that this has become our main focus of our lives. But um, to see us doing it kind of in a a separate way it would have been a lot to answer for for us well it feels like in the time that I've known you which is like about eight or nine years now you always come and go together you're so synchronized the two of you although like you know when you're in California you're there you're in living in the house together when in India like I love this I love the advice you guys gave to me and my partner when we were in India because it's quite unconventional the way devotees live because it's a not not a normal kind of an ashram setting but married couples or partners have their own homes which actually in reality is brilliant but in the western mindset it's kind of a strange concept to live separate from your husband or your wife but actually it's so amazing so i i really think that the idea of you know together and separate it's something that we make up, right? At the end of the day, you know, we're all separate, right? We're all separate physical entities. You lived next door to me in India, right? Like we get together when we get together. We're separate. I live next door to Elise. I live next door to, you know, 16 other people. So when you have your own place, you have a choice of when you actually want to be with somebody. And when you're, you were, when you're with that person, it's because you really want to be with that person, whether it's a friend or whether it's a, a partner, right? It, it's you're with a person out of a conscious choice. So your whole space is, is one of joy because you chose to do that. It's not because, you know, you don't have the space. You just run into each other and you actually prefer being on your own and the other person, you know, that's actually when they want to talk and then somebody has to make a compromise. And then your whole day is basically nothing but a sequence of compromises that you're making this way you live in freedom. And, and I think especially for meditators uh, it's important to be tuned in to, to your space, to what you need. Uh, to those moments where you actually feel, oh, you know, this is my time to sit down, read a scripture, meditate. And, you know, if the other person, you know, that's when they want to go watch TV or whatever it is, even if they put a pair of headphones on, it's it's a different happening. There's more movement, there's more happening in the house. And also, you know, our nature is never to close our eyes. The, the nature of a human being is always to do, there's always something more to do. There's always something more on the list that needs to be done. 
So if there's a lot of movement around you, you're going to end up going without movement instead of actually going without voice that says, settle down, sit, take a pause. Mm -hmm. um, and because the rhythms are different, it's really important to just have that space. Mm -hmm. And, and you, end up, uh, you end up getting irritated at yourself and somebody else if, if that space is taken. Yeah, I feel like you two are such a test to like, a relationship or a partnership or even friendship that flourishes like in the devotion to that truth because you do support each other like if so both in unique but both powerful ways like you are in this cohesive like symbiotic thing you're moving separately but you're also supporting each other but yet you're for each other's freedom which like that's pretty awesome and not so common in regular relationships or marriages where it's not about freedom really right well i i can say that before we got married and when we had already started meditating um a little bit more casually at that time uh we did break up for a year um i was living in a city that i where i didn't know anybody and I, I wasn't happy in my job. And that was the key. I wasn't happy. And Gadi was going on a lot of business trips. So I was very lonely as well. And so all I was dependent on his company for my happiness. And it just wasn't working. So I went back to Chicago, where I'm from, and moved in back in with my parents. And I worked there. And then I really, really dedicated myself to the sadhana and to meditation and to really unfolding an understanding of what is meditation for myself. And I, I think that Gadi did a very similar thing when we were apart. He's saying so-so. <laughs> but, um, but he had the company of our friends who introduced us to meditation. I was... Besides phone calls with them, I was basically on my own. And I was really digging that um, that power in myself to do the sadhana on my own. And then at a certain point, I realized, maybe I read in a scripture, I think the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, happiness lies within. And that to me was the answer to why we meditate is we close our eyes and we put our attention on the space where that is where the absolute sense of bliss and happiness lies. And it, you cannot get that from outside of yourself. You cannot get that from anyone else, but from your own self, that higher self of who you are. And when that dawned in me, then I was ready to return and, and, and come back to the relationship. And I, you alluded to that. I really give credit to that devotion to the space that really brought Gadi and I together, back together under the space of oneness with a different understanding of two people coming together in unity, but actually it's the same being within both of us that we recognize that's where the oneness lies. And um, I would say that that to, to 
credit to that oneness and that self-being for really sparking that or rejuvenating that sense that we want to be together. And I will add um, to that, that we often describe a journey, uh, like our spiritual practice as a journey. But I would say that spirituality is within us at all times, moment to moment. It's nothing to seek or to become or to be on a path of discovery of it. It's more of an unfoldment of what is already there. I would say that Gadi and I are on a journey in this lifetime together, thankfully, which I just, I treasure so much, but it's, um, um, it's a journey together as two people for unfolding what is already there, that self, that higher being. Beautiful. But when you started speaking, I was thinking about like how when people get married, it's like, oh, you at weddings and it's like, oh, now they're complete. Like, oh, that you find that person and they're complete. But you're expressing it in the opposite. We're already complete because we're exactly what you said, that the spirituality is just is us. And then how blessed you are to have a partner to reflect that as you move through life. But it's so uncommon to see it that way I I think both of you you're you're basically hitting the nail on the head right I I think if you get into a relationship because you feel a sense of lack and you think that somebody else is gonna fill whatever you know is, is not there it's putting an unreasonable expectation on somebody and also really you may your perception of a sense of lack is is totally totally right on but what you lack is you actually lack the sight of your true being that's what you're lacking you're not lacking anything else emotionally or whatever i mean it's always it's it's great to be in good company good company is fantastic and there's no disputing that but that doesn't have to be a romantic relationship there are plenty of people who are in good company that is not a romantic thing um and and it's really what what that company does is it just reflects that being to you that is the meaning of good company it reflects your true being It it reflects your perfection and if you go into something and you go oh already deciding that i'm half perfect and then you know if i'm with you now now i'm full perfect or now i'm 80 percent perfect no you are perfect you are fine you're perfectly fine you need to find the company romantic or not romantic that will reflect that to you and if somebody reflects the opposite of that if somebody reflects you know all the places where you're wrong or or small or inadequate or whatever it is run that's really not the place for you and it doesn't matter how funny or not funny or good looking or not good looking or rich or poor they are really not good company Good company is that which reflects the highest. And I would add to that, it I just I felt like I, I needed to say that we talk so much about going to India and meeting a realized being, but some people don't have that opportunity or that chance. And you talk about good company, and I think that is 
almost as good, you know, as re meeting a realized being. If you meet a person who has that ambition to unfold that state of awareness where, as you say, everything is perfect, you are perfect. If you meet somebody like that, then then that is your company and that that is what is going to help nurture your own um spiritual practice um and we talk so often about how you know it it is an independent work it's only you who can meditate for yourself but staying in company with others who are doing the same is so important that you can read with them some scriptures or something that will inspire you to continue that practice is almost as important mm -hmm. so like you said, whether it's a romantic partner or a, just a very good friend or a group of friends, I think it's it's super important for the sadhana. Mm -hmm. Like, how has it been in the last 25 years watching each other's sadhana develop? Like, you know, we always can look outside of ourselves and observe. And I know you know, every sada kind of has their path and their things that keep coming up. And I know like Shakti Priya, you're the Viragya friend and Gadi, I know you've had so much come up, but how has that been like, especially when you're in India, like watching each other with Swami and like knowing that person so well and, and to watch each other like churn and go through all that you have gone through to, you know, you, you guys are both such strong satsangis and strong meditators but I know that's you've evolved that with so much practice and burning at the feet of guru yeah you can say that again <laughs> I definitely didn't start as a strong meditator when I started meditating I'd meditate for 10 minutes everything would start itching and the only thought in my head was is this over is this over can I open my eyes <laughs> and it took a while to actually settle down and be able to sit so it's definitely, it's a groove that you build. It, it's definitely a groove that you build. And, and for some people, it comes easier. For some people, it's harder. Um, but like pretty much everything that's worthwhile uh, puts some effort into it and, and it starts opening. Um, in terms of watching each other, it's really interesting uh, for me. I mean, I'm sure Elisa has uh, has her own point of view. Uh you know, if I'd watch Elisa sitting and interacting with Swami, it would definitely be different than if I watched somebody else. You know, it would be different than if I'd watch you sitting and interacting with Swami, right? And, yeah, and I'd I, just be you know, crying. And, and, <laughs> <laughs> and I'd totally be, you know, rooting for you and like, go Bobby. And, like, and Bobby's amazing, right? And I'd be interested. But it's different. Um and it's hard to put a finger on why it's different. It's definitely not because, you know, any sense of ownership or anything like that, but it is, it's like, you know, it's somebody who is very close to your heart. Um, but I, you know, I, I think when I started dating Elisa about 600 years ago, uh, <laughs> I thought she was a very amazing being. I didn't even, I couldn't tell you why. Uh, I actually had uh, Elisa when we about I don't know three four months after we started going out. Uh, Elisa was going to Costa Rica for a year, and I was going to work in San Diego. And 
we went on a trip to Yosemite and I had basically planned to break up with her because I didn't want a long distance relationship. And I thought, you know, she's going to Costa Rica. She should have fun there with all the Tico guys. And I'm going to go have fun with a bunch of engineers in Qualcomm. That's going to be fantastic. <laughs> There's a lot of social promise in that. So, um, but I couldn't, I, I just couldn't. I, I planned to break up and, and, uh, and then it didn't happen. And then at some point, Elisa was in Costa Rica and she was supposed to come visit me in San Diego and she decided she's not going to come. And then, and, and she did. Um, so we saw something in each other, right? And I think now when I look back at it, uh, I think what we saw was somehow that free being and that we didn't see in anybody else around us. At least for me, I can say I don't see it in anybody else. Uh, and that year that we broke up, I think I went on two dates and decided, yeah, that's not for me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, and then over the years, Swami called Elisa Shakti Priya, Power of Love. Uh, and there's definitely a lot of power there. And, uh, Alisa has some life situations that uh, knocked quite a few other people down and she's marching along. Uh, and I, I just have a lot of respect uh, for how you deal with a lot of stuff in life. And I have a lot of respect for your devotion to Swami and, and to Sadhana. I know that's like the one thing that you don't compromise on. And it's incredible. Absolutely incredible. I just. Wow. Thank you so much. Um, now I'm, <laughs> I'm speechless. Um, I really didn't even expect this question. So I'm, I'm glad you answered first, Gadi, and you really, it's, very touching everything that you've said we have gone through many things together and i i don't think that we would have been able to weather so many difficulties that we faced not not that we faced together that we faced that came toward us um if we hadn't had that steadiness of meditation in our lives I, I've seen you with, you know, 20 years apart, your parents passing and my own mother passing. Um, and then I was diagnosed with MS. And, um, you know, that's what, you know, everybody has a story in their lives of, or many stories that come up that we have to deal with. But we have really built a strength and but actually we've just uncovered some strength that was already within us to handle these situations that have come our way and um i would say that the the qualities that gadi showed me from very very early on of meeting of your <laughs> i'm getting choked up you're just devoted and dedicated to the people that you love and you will do anything for them. And I am definitely a beneficiary of that. How you've, you helped me so much in my struggles with multiple sclerosis 
and through everything you had that quality early on and I think it's just blossomed through sadhana maybe it would have been there anyway but it's hard to tell if if it's meditation or just maturity that these things uh that they develop but um also you have a great sense of humor and a levity in situations which really helps when things get tough always <laughs> and i think that swamiji recognized that in you you have a great ability to get things done and he really picked he really picked up on that and gave you a lot to handle and you just have it's it's a it's a character that i don't think ever left you so people say that they're looking for something in, to change in their personalities i think that things where that where we find a lot of difficulties in our lives maybe that the edges of those smooth out by doing sadhana because we're able to understand this is just a changing field um, I know where the unchanging is. I find it in meditation. So we're able to let things go more easily. But I don't think that the characters that we're born with totally get dissolved. I think we're just becoming more and more familiar and, and we recognize where our sense of immortality and our sense of peace lies. I think our personalities stay with us Um but we have a great awareness that develops through through meditation. Yeah, I think your personality stays, but I think what changes is your perspective. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember asking Swami once about helping people, and he said, "Look, you know, if if it's like the wind, you know, hitting uh, Bijli Mahadev, Bijli Mahadev is a big mountain near us." And he goes, you know, if it's like the wind taking off a little bit of dust off Bijli Mahadev, you help. If you feel like, you know, it's taking a huge chunk of you, you need to take care of yourself. And what I've come to realize is that basically pretty much all of the waking state is like the wind taking a bit of dust off Bijli Mahadev. That's all it is. And we tend to take a lot of stuff very, very seriously and very much to heart. And the truth is, you know, as Swami pointed out many times, the cemeteries are full of people who took life very, very seriously. <laughs> and now nobody cares, right? <laughs> nobody even knows what they were fighting about. It's all gone. And if you can manage, you know, just getting a bit of perspective, the, the truth is that it, it's a big joke. Like the whole thing is, is is a big joke. So you know, if you can if you can laugh and if you can help somebody else, you know that that is stuck in some situation, you can make their life a little bit easier, so they can laugh. So win win all around, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah when you were speaking, Shakti Priya, you reminded me of I heard that Swami once said, "When when you realize you don't become me, you're just you realized. You know, you're you are that." that person but you have that expanded awareness of the of the space of the oneness of the realization I, I promise you that even if i realize i will still not like cricket <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you you both are so um versed or so good at moving you know because some people get this idea in their head like oh 
you go to an ashram in India, you become a devotee, and they have this concept in their head based on, you know, whatever builds those concepts. But um, you both are so not good, but so smooth at transitioning from Kulu to being in the ashram to being in satsang every day to then being back in the U.S., being in your daily lives. Like, I mean, I know that you're such solid meditators, but how does your spiritual practice become practical when you're in the quote-unquote real world <laughs> or the Western world? Well, just as you said, like, if you have a very steady practice, then it actually doesn't matter where you are. You just continue that as you move about and maneuver in the world. So um, maybe in certain company, you can be more inspired as we are when we are with friends in an ashram. But um, because of that steady practice, we can, even if we're out of that company, maybe the inspiration isn't there, you know, but, but the, the, it's not even a need anymore to meditate. It's a necessity of, of just, or it's, um, it's a habit, but that actually minimizes it. So I'm having trouble finding the right words. It's, it's actually, it's just the makeup of my life. So wherever I am, I can't leave that behind. It comes with me. So that that continues. And we do make sure wherever we go that we continue to have satsang with friends. And thankfully, the pandemic really sped up the process of being able to Zoom as we are with you. We can Zoom with friends who are also dedicated to this work and we can continue the satsang over, you know, online. So that that just continues it, it never stops uh it's like a wheel that's constantly turning it never never stops and i think also you know i i really try to keep myself in good company whether it's shams or non-shams uh i'm you know when when it comes to uh, i still work a little bit and when I work, I really try to make a point of working with people that I like, people that are, they're really nice at the end of the day. And, and I don't know, I work with a group of uh, maybe 30 people in, in some degree of closeness. I don't think there's like a bad apple in, in, in that group. Like they're all, people are nice and people are especially you know, if if what you reflect is is that respect and 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 openness to somebody, we're all you know a diamond of ninety facets, right? And, and and the facet that they choose to reflect back to you is actually that that nice one. Uh, some of them, you know, have uh, uh, there's one person that I work with that definitely you know has a very strong spiritual bent. Right. And and I can sit and joke with him about that. Uh, other people are not that open to spirituality the way that I see it. But I, I, there, there are so many people, whether they do sadhana, they don't do sadhana, that you can really relate to, you know, on a level of interest, 
um, of decency um, that I don't know. I, I don't find it like a tremendous burden to be in the West. I love being in India because, you know, I'm in this little bubble with this group of friends that I've been with for 30 years that, you know, I say one word and it just takes me back to being with Swami in a certain situation. So it, it's just an extreme privilege and, and a shortcut to just, you know, being in that space that is totally open. Um, but in terms of doing sadhana, you know, at the end of the day, if self alone is, then self alone is. It's not like self alone is in India, self alone is in Kulu. And then in Davis, it's half self, and in San Diego, it's a quarter self. <laughs> right? And it's self is self. And it's reflected in every pair of eyes that you see. Yeah. It's self. So if you can see it, it's on you. And if you can't see it, definitely on you. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I'm asking because I'm still working on on recognizing that, I mean, I know self is everywhere, but for me, I'm always, if I'm not in India, if I'm not in the ashram, I'm longing to be there so much that I feel separate from where I am here. And like, just like what you said, like, you know, started this new job and I see all the beautiful people with just good hearts. And I'm like, these are good hearted people. Like I'm glad to be around them. But at the same time, I'm always like, but nothing compares to my Sean friends because nothing compares to the company of those. And I guess it's like a refinement that comes where you can be easy everywhere. And I'm still trying to work it out. So it's good to be reminded of that, but it's challenging sometimes. We're huge fans of you being in India. I have to say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely true because you have enriched our, my own practice by reinvigorating my, my drive to doing Hatha Yoga. Like you are a complete inspiration to that. And so you definitely add a lot uh, to other people's lives there so we we definitely are uh, selfish that we want you in our company because you just enrich our sadhana so much yeah you're a curious yogi but you're a very very skilled hatha yogi <laughs> and you're a you're like the perfect neighbor really <laughs> <laughs> i wasn't fishing for compliments there but thanks i love how this has turned into an appreciation triangle it's really great but, but uh bobby i do want to say it's not a mistake that we miss being with people who are on this path of self-realization you know it is hard to be on your own it is a lonely experience so it's not it's not a false impression that you're having definitely we miss that company and we do whatever we can to get back to that whatever it takes no yeah, just the ability to you know sit with somebody have a cup of tea and you know with all due respect to zoom and teams and everybody else that invented one of those uh, communication programs that doesn't even come close to, you know, sit down, have a cup of tea and, and just be with each other. And in Kulu, it's, you know, a place where like you have a hundred people that are fantastic company, you know, two minutes away from that cup of tea. You just don't have that environment anywhere 
at least accessible to us in in the West. Unless you create it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unless you create your own village, you know. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it does feel like I mean, I guess, you know, everybody's on our own journey and our own timeline and our own struggles, and that's the individual experience, but it is amazing to just have conversations like these where it can be reflected and like self is self, even though my experience appears to be individual currently. And there is that sense of separate and smallness. And I know you both know me so well. So there's the tendency to go there, but it is true. Like self is everywhere and just get the like grab on where you can and like this is a grab on moment you know <laughs> definitely <laughs> for us too <laughs> yeah we, we somehow you know we and it's not it's nobody's fault it's the way that you know the human mechanism is right but we see separate with our eyes and we believe our eyes right the experience of knowing you know i know elisa knows right that knowing is common. We don't go and say, oh, wait a minute, that knowing in common is, co- is common, so it has one source, right? And it emanates from one place. It's one light. We go, oh, no. Garima knows, Alisa knows, I know, each one of us knows something else. The actual knowing is common. It's that one being. Tune into that, then you get the oneness. Tune into your eyes that see forms, and yeah, yeah, forms are always going to be separate. It's just the nature of the eyes. It's no more than that. And as soon as their eyes are open, it only knows duality. It only knows me and you, three of us instead of one. But like, you know, I love Shakti Priya, how you've just said again and again, like the power of meditation is that. And like, what do we do? to manage or like negate the eyes and the senses and everything that feels separate and small and compartmentalized and here or there, but like close the eyes. And then we just know that space, which is universal. Like we all close our eyes and we're in that same space. There is no separateness or even you two together. There is no together. It's just all one. Right. Right. And I guess that, that the discomfort that comes up or the, unhappiness that comes up it's just there to con- to remind us to again go to where we know that that sense actually doesn't even exist and we get that through meditation if everything was all hunky-dory at all times in the waking state what would compel us to close our eyes there are plenty of people who say i'm happy i don't need to meditate I don't really believe them. (laughs) Yeah. But I think they know what it takes to actually delve into that depth of, of, uh, of knowingness. It's a kind of scary uh, endeavor. And so it's maybe a lot easier just to say, I figured out like my comfort level and I can call that happiness and I don't need to do any work of self-discovery or self-exploration I'm okay. But for those of us in this conversation and many of our friends, it just wasn't enough. We, we, I, I just won't tolerate that, um, that sense of smallness or that sense of loneliness or that sense of being unhappy. 
I know that it can, it actually, my true reality is peace and bliss. And I want to know that at all times. So we keep, we keep plugging away. We keep doing it, whatever, whatever it takes. When you were speaking, you reminded me of before when you were saying, when you went back to your parents and you just said, I'm going to just devote myself to my sadhana because I know that there's more than like any sense of unease. And for me, I feel like that's kind of where I'm at right now too. Like Mm -hmm. I'm kind of just taking a step back to go really into the sadhana to know like that wholeness, that completeness is there, but we have to do the sadhana to, to get to that place. Yeah. Remove the covering, dear. That's all <laughs> we do. Working on it. <laughs> <laughs> so to we could probably chat forever and I'm I know we will get to chat again soon, but I love to just finish the ep- each episode by asking the guests if you could leave the listeners, any of the other curious yogis out there with any words of wisdom. What would you leave them with? Gadi, you go first. Just a few nuggets of your 30 years of sadhana wisdom wrapped up into a juicy ball. (laughs) So I would say, if I'd have to say one sentence is, you are not who you think that you are. And it's a loaded sentence because it can sound obnoxious. I have no idea what you think that you are, right? So how can I know that you're not what you think that you are? And you're not. And the reason that you're not who you think that you are is because what you are is not something that is in the realm of thinking. You are that absolute free being that transcends body, transcends thought transcends opinion transcends difference you're just that and my wish for myself and for everybody who listens is don't compromise on anything until this is your living reality this is what you're actually seeing every day this is what you are and when you see that then you also see that everybody around you just that just that same freedom beautiful wow that's beautiful (laughs) uh i would say that uh i mean i would say the same thing you are vast and free um pure forever and uh as a asterisk footnote to that i would say the mind will try to sweep you up in its uh, complicated ways, trying to convince you that the only way to really know that freedom is to do this or that. And there's some special magic formula to do that. And also um, along the way, it will want to make you miserable and forget that you are that free being, but take it as an opportunity, use it as an opportunity to just delve into the knowingness that you are that free being and don't listen to it. Let it do its own thing, but don't um, don't fall under the sway of it because it will just try to trap you. Just rest on the your own awareness that you are forever vast and free. Beautiful wise words to finish with i just want to say i appreciate you both i love you both so much and i'm 
so delighted and honored to have your presence on my humble podcast project. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so, so much for having us, Bobby. Thank you so much, dear one. You're just a, a divine and inspiring being. And this these series of podcasts will go down into a beautiful legacy for all of us to revisit again and again. Thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thanks for listening to this episode of A Curious Yogi Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please leave a review on iTunes. It really, really helps the show reach more people. Or share on social, and of course, follow on your favorite podcast platforms so you don't miss an episode. I appreciate the love, and I appreciate you. Let's stay curious, connected, and keep walking the yogi's path together. In oneness and delight, this is Bobby signing off until next time.